Well, if you'd met someone a few weeks ago, perhaps in church, and they'd said to you, we ought to pray for the king, or rather pray for the queen, uh, I wonder what you'd, how you'd have reacted. I suspect many of us would have gone, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, let's, let's pray for the queen. Uh, what if someone in polite conversation a few weeks ago had said that, that you know, the, the, the queen and, the, and the, the monarchy is wonderful, it can change the world, you know? We'd probably been a little bit confused, wouldn't we? Uh, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, we've got a queen, but really, I mean, is it that big a deal? I've been listening to the radio a little bit recently. I heard a show the other day where they were talking about the monarchy, and um, people were saying the queen as head of state had been better than really what we might have had if we'd had a politician as a head of state. No, she's been stable. She stood for us, represented to us, re- represented us. That They were saying she's been the best of us in some way, humble, serving, stable. The panel were asked what they want next of a monarchy. And most of them said, and this surprised me, that they would like it to continue. And they wanted more of the same, someone who lived down and embodied these great values. Hope in a, in a monarch. A few weeks ago, we'd have thought it odd, maybe less so today in in light of recent events. I mean, it's not like if you have an emergency, I don't know, your house is on fire or something, you immediately think, 999, oh, what service do you require? Oh, the monarchy, please. You know, we don't put our hope in, in the monarchy like that, do we? But look at today's psalm, Psalm 132, because here is a psalm that puts hope in a king. Striking, isn't it? Look at, look at verse 1 of the psalm on page 519, Psalm 132. As it begins, look, verse 1. Remember, O Lord, in David's favour, King David, all the hardships he endured. Or look at the prayer as it continues in the second part. Look at verse 10. For the sake of your servant David, for the sake of the king, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Here are prayers in a psalm. They're all about the king. The king being honoured. The, the king might come. Blessings might flow to the king. That seems odd to us, but God had promised that he would have a people, that they would dwell in his place, that they would have his rule. And then they'd know his blessing. God's people in God's place, under God's rule, with his blessing. People in the Old Testament knew that. And so, of course, they want to pray for a king. I mean, that would make you want to pray for a king, wouldn't it? To have God's rule and God's blessing. Now, in the Old Testament, it never happened. Israel never became that place of God's presence and blessing. David died, and after him, Solomon, well, Solomon managed to finish the temple. In fact, he even used some words from this psalm. Pray for the temple, by the way, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. But they never had the king. They never had God's rule, and so they never had that place of God's blessing and presence. So they pray, Lord, would you bring that rule and that blessing? Would you bring your promises in? It seems odd to pray for a king, to put your hope in a king. But think about it for a moment. We're disciples of Christ, aren't we? We're following him. We're trusting him. We're trusting that one day God would bring us to the place where all his promises are true. Where we'd be in God's place, with God's people, with God's king, with God's rule. With God's blessing and God's presence forever. This prayer actually isn't so weird as it seems at the outset. This is absolutely a prayer for us as disciples. It's a prayer about the longing of the king and the longing of a kingdom to see the kingdom of God come about, see God's promises come in. 
It's a psalm, I think, that wonderfully reminds us what we're disciples for and what disciples have in store. So we're going to look at this psalm under two headings. Now, the first heading is this. Number one, we see in this psalm a prayer and the oath of a king. A prayer and the oath of a king. That's there in verses one to nine. We've seen the prayer already. Look at verse one. The prayer goes like this. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. Here's a prayer. The people are to sing this prayer on on their Psalms of Ascent, on their Discipleship Explored course, as these Psalms almost are in the Old Testament. Here's this song, and they pray, Lord, would you remember David, King David? Now, remember, using the word remember, it's not like God's forgotten. When people pray in the Bible and say, God, please remember, it's not because God's forgetful. No, this is a prayer asking God to act on what he's already said and promised. Lord, would you honor the king? Would you keep your promises? And why? Well, look at the grounds of this prayer. Verse 2, honor the king because he's poured out his life. King David had hardships. Now, sure, he had some physical challenges. But this is talking about internal heartache. You see, David longed. He longed desperately for God's promises to come true. He longed desperately for God's presence to symbolically um, um, come to the people. But it, it didn't happen. Again, if you want to know more of that backstory, come and ask me later. King David never got to see it happen. So there's a heartache. And David made a vow. Look at the vow. A solemn oath to the Lord in verses three to five. Look what David says. David had said, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. I wonder what you make of that kind of oath. I'm not sleeping. I'm not sleeping until God's presence comes to bless us. It's poetic, extravagant language, isn't it? You're not going to last very long if you make a vow and say, I'm not sleeping until I get the dishes done. <laughs> I'm not sleeping until we finally renovate the house. You know, it's not, you're not going to last very long, are you? David's making a vow of ultimate commitment, isn't he? He even says he's not going to bed. The language there, the insinuation, David says he's not going to sleep with his wife, basically, until the Lord has a house. In other words, David's saying, I'm not going to have a house, a royal dynasty, a kingdom, until God has a house. He'll be utterly restless until God's presence and blessing comes to rest with him and the people. Now, that is some vow, isn't it? I wonder if you've ever made a vow like that. I will deny myself completely. I long so desperately for God's presence. I'll deny myself until God is symbolically present. We've heard a lot of the Queen's vow recently, haven't we? I think I've lost count of the amount of times the Queen's vow of 1947 has been played over the last week. And rightly so. It's an amazing vow, isn't it? Listen to what the Queen said on her birthday in 1947. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Now, that was some pledge, wasn't it? How incredible that she kept it. I don't know about you, but hearing that vow and remembering the queen, it's kind of stirred my heart. It's made me go, yeah, it's made me want to go, yeah, you go, girl. You, you did it. 
It makes me want to say inside, I'm with you. I'm up for this. Let's make, let's make this happen. Let's be servants like you and let's have this great nation, you know. I think that's what's happening as you read this psalm. You, you look at David's words and you go, yeah, David. Yeah, come on, let's have this. Let's have God's presence. Let's have his blessing. Come on. It's striking, isn't it? I wonder if that's your heart, by the way, this morning. Well, apparently this vow did get uh, a response and a reaction at the time. You'll see it there in verse 6. It turns out that people heard about David's great longing for the presence and blessing of God and the promises of God fulfilled. And the whole nation suddenly thought, how are we going to make this happen? And they'd lost this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, ask me about this later if you want to know the backstory. Um, But the whole nation goes to look for the Ark of the Covenant, saying, bring it to the temple, and there God's presence would symbolically be there. Blessing. And verse 6 said, some people heard of, maybe it's David's vow, maybe it's the location of the Ark. Some people heard of it when they were in Epaphra. That's an old name for, uh, for Bethlehem. They heard the news, and they found it. They found the Ark of the Covenant in a place called Jar. And then look what the nation all said. Let's go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. You see, you've got a whole nation saying, yes, come on. Let's, let's be as committed to this as our king is. Let's see God's presence and blessing. Must have been something. We're told that David led the parade with dancing, pride and celebration. Well, it never made it there to the, the temple, and later Solomon would bring it to the temple. And Solomon actually praised the words of this psalm in verses 8 to 9. I think we get led into these verses, don't we? If we get excited about the king's vow, we want to pray these prayers, don't we? Look at verse 8. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. Lord, would you dwell with us as you promised to? That's the heart of this, isn't it? Let your priests be what they were meant to be. Let us be the nations of nations where people see your blessing and want to come to know you. Let there be shouts of joy. This was the heart. This was the oath. This was the ambition of the king. And now having read this prayer and song, I think think we're supposed to align our hearts with the king. I think we're supposed to go, yes, David. We want that true. We long that all God's promises would come true. I think we're supposed to pray it. I think we're supposed to join verse 1 and verse 8 and 9. I think it's the kind of New Testament prayer. Um, Lord, let your kingdom come. And I I think we're supposed to live it too. I think that's verses 3 to 5. I think we're supposed to go, yeah, all right then. We're up for this. David says he would pay any price to have God's presence, to have his kingdom come. We look at these vows. I think our hearts are supposed to be stirred to go, yes, that is a cause that I can line up with. David denies himself all sorts of material goods, all sorts of ambitions because of a far greater good, doesn't he? He You know, he knew, we know, don't we? It's no bad thing to have a home. No bad thing to have rest and a bed and sleep and fun and food and friendship. But David said all these good things, well, they're no good without the certain knowledge of being in the presence of the one from whom all goodness comes. 
David would leave all lesser things behind to have the great things of God, to have God himself. His promise is fulfilled. We might ask ourselves then this morning, as we read this psalm, as we hear the words of that king, of that kingdom in that time, as we hear it, we might ask ourselves, is that our heart desire? Or have we rather made our heaven here on earth? Has the heavenly fulfillment of all of God's promises been eclipsed by this earth? The world insinuates, doesn't it, that it can satisfy us. But David is convinced that only God will satisfy. This psalm makes us want to ask the questions of our own hearts. What lesser things do I need to leave aside? What things do I need to remove from my, from my vision and my motives and my enthusiasm to be infused with the one thing that matters overall? I want living for God to be my all in all. As you see, the Christian life isn't about safety and satisfaction now, is it? It's not about religious orders and projects. It's, it's, it's not about being safe at all costs. And I suppose some at the time when David was getting this ark and doing this temple thing. I suppose some people at the time thought that was all religion or it was all politics. And David was just doing this thing to, to keep up appearances and be popular. That wasn't the thing, was it? Look at his heart for two minutes and we see the king longs for God's presence and promises. This celebration, this procession, this great desire. It all flows from a personal desire for the presence of God. I think it reminds us, doesn't it, that, that all we're about, as disciples of Jesus, all we're about must be focused on being with God. Our Bible studies, then, shouldn't just be for having Bible knowledge. Our prayer meetings not solely for making petitions. Our gatherings are not just a practice. Our Lord's suppers are not just for the food. Our fellowship is not just for the friendship. All our prayer and all our quiet times and all we do as a church together, it's, it's with the drive that we might know God, that we might long for the king and his kingdom to come, to be with him in his presence. We want to grow in our love and service of him. Not because we, we love self-denial or something but because of the greater good and joy of having God himself forever. Let me ask you, has that captured your heart? Is that your greatest longing? To be with the God of all perfections, the God who ultimately satisfies, to look into his face and know his loving embrace forever. Has that captured your heart? Would you do anything to have it? Well, that's David's oath. How will we respond? So there's a prayer and the oath of a king. But secondly, look, the prayer continues. There's a prayer and the oath of the Lord in verses 10 to 16. A prayer and the oath of the Lord. This prayer continues because it turns out this prayer uh, is about a king, but it doesn't just depend on the king. Look, look at verse 10. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. As a prayer... Again, look, asking that this king might be honoured. But look where it's grounded this time. This prayer isn't grounded in the oath or the vow of the king. It's not honour the king because of the king's oath. Look, it's honour the king because of God's oath. 
You see, it turns out that David was making this big vow. Lord, I'm going to build you a house. And God says, sure thing, David. But I'm going to build you a house. So you might as well stop what you're doing. Because I'm going to build you a house. Look at the promise God makes of an everlasting dynasty for David. It's retelling us something of 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Bible. Verse 11, God says, One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. God says, I'm going to give you that king to rule so that you have, so that you are God's people in God's place with God's rule and know God's blessing forever. God says he really is going to keep all his promises. And I think, again, look, just like we we were like, wow, David's oath. I think we're also supposed to go, wow, God's oath at this point. But not because there's some national response and a big search party and all song and dance, but because God backs up this promise. He ratifies it. Look at verse 13. Where this psalm says, For the Lord has really chosen Zion. He really has desired it for his dwelling place. Look what he said. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. God is totally committed to being with his people in his place. He's going to dwell with them. So much so, look, he answers that earlier prayer, verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 15. He says, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. God's blessing is coming, isn't it? God's blessing is coming. That's what this psalm is telling us, isn't it? And that's a heck of a story. That is a beautiful ending. It's one that should give us great reassurance. But look over the psalm and you'll notice a catch. Did you spot it in verse 12? God says, I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to come. But look at what it depends on in verse 12. David, if your sons keep my covenant, I'll put one on the throne forever. And my blessing will come if... If there is a good king, then I will keep my promises. I reckon the people who sung this prayer knew that pretty well. I think that's probably why they're singing this prayer, Lord, do give honour to the David king we've already had. Because they know they've never had a good king. Every king has led the nation into disobedience. They were kicked out of the land, out of God's presence. God's blessing withdrawn. They, they had David and he was good-ish. At Solomon, that ended in tragedy. They had Hezekiah. He was great for a while. Even had Josiah, who was really good. But it never worked out. They were never faithful kings in the end. And so we look at this other half of the psalm and we want to go, wow, isn't this brilliant? God's vow, he's going to keep his promises. But our hearts kind of crumble and go, it's never going to happen, is it? Is there ever going to be a king? Well, here verses 17 and 18 finally come in to their own. Look, thirdly, this morning we see answers and assurance. We're reminded of fulfillment in Christ. Look at verse 17 and 18 that draw this psalm together. God says that in his place, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I'll clothe with shame. But on him, his crown will shine. 
God says he's going to make a horn come for David. That's like, what's that all about? A horn is a symbol of strength in the Bible. God says, from the line of David is going to come, in other words, another king, a strong king, the king. And look, God promises a lamp. In the Old Testament, David was called the lamp of Israel. Well, God says there's going to be another lamp, another David, to bring light in the darkness. And he says that when this king comes, all the enemies will be subdued, peace. Enemies clothed in shame, priests clothed in salvation, and a crown that will shine. In other words, the God who makes this promise is going to keep his promises because he's even going to provide the king to keep the oath, the good and faithful king. I found it puzzling as I read this psalm. What's all the fascination with David here? Why is this, why is this such a big deal, this king, having the hope in the king? Until we got to these last few lines and realized that there was going to be another king, another David. And then I think you read the psalm again, but instead put Jesus in, in place of where you've read David, and see how the psalm reads now. Look at verse 1. The prayer goes, remember, O Lord, in King Jesus' favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go get into my bed. I'll not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Jesus is the one, the Bible says, who had no place to rest his head. Jesus is the one who was utterly committed to bringing us into God's presence. Jesus is the one who kept this vow. Who said there is no price too high for me to pay to bring you to the dwelling of God. He is the one, look down at verse 6. He is the one who makes the response of nations that was never made. He is the one who journeys from Bethlehem, in verse 6, to Jerusalem. He is the one who goes there to make his people, his priests, to clothe them in righteousness. He is the one who travels to the cross to bring about the shouts of joy of resurrection morning. Jesus is the, is the son, in verse 12, who keeps the covenant. Jesus is the one who will sit on the throne forever. Jesus is the one whose crown will shine forever. So that we know that heaven and earth will one day be united, that God will renew the world, that we will be in God's presence forever. We will go to the place where all God's promises are true forever, because guess what? There is hope in a king, King Jesus. And casting down our crowns before him, we will be lost in wonder, love, and praise. This is a psalm of hope in a king. It's a psalm that inspires us to serve because of the oath of the king of kings. But this is a psalm also of reassurance, isn't it? That the true king has come. That God's promise of God's people in God's place under God's king is coming true. And one day we will be in the place of God's blessing forever. We will dwell with God. We will see him as he is. We will know him in glory. And while we've heard oaths that have been very inspiring over these last few weeks, we've heard of the queen and so on. And while that might take us to our knees, it is only King Jesus who really brings us to our knees, isn't it? 
but with him and from there and from our knees, according to the unbreakable word of God, Jesus will take us to the kingdom of the true king, where we'll know his blessing forever. Do you long for that? Will you long for it with the words of this psalm? And will your heart be encouraged by the reassurance of this psalm that that day is coming soon? Shall we pray? Let's pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we thank you that we've been reminded this morning that our hope rests in a king, King Jesus. We thank you for his vow. We thank you that he's the only one who can keep his promises, can do exactly what he said. Thank you that he lived the life that we could never live, that he might be our saviour. He might be the king that leads us to his kingdom. Father, we want to confess this morning that as we've heard this vow, maybe we've been inspired and maybe we haven't. Father, we want to recognize that sometimes we've said it's quite costly to follow this king. It hasn't been our all in all. It's been a cost too high to pay and we want to ask your forgiveness for that. We want to be inspired by Jesus who paid the infinite cost to bring us to blessing. And Father, we want to know that reassurance. We want our vision recast. We want to be captured by the bliss of being with you forever. Would you stir that in our hearts deeply, we pray. We ask him for Jesus' sake. Amen.